Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. I'm here with racing motorbike exhaust in Whitworth near Rochdale. This is a walk back in time. As soon as I walk through the doors, I could have been walking back into the 1920s, 1930s era of motorbike racing because Ben Hardman here is, shall we say, the maestro of the vintage and classic racing motorbike exhaust. Ben Hardman, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Welcome. Yeah, what was there? Thank you. Right, now... This really is, I mean, you're the third generation doing this. I mean, talk us through racing exhaust, because the only thing I know is racing, me, stands for raise sons. But just talk us through it. How did it start? When did it start? And how does it go from where it started to here? Because in many ways, the generations have changed, but what you're turning out, what you're producing, and the atmosphere we're studying hasn't changed. Yeah, I don't, that's growing up around old motorbikes, I'd say. I've just <laughs> spent all my life growing up around old motorbikes. Granddad were into vintage bikes. And he set, he set up his exhaust pipe place in the 60s, a vintage motorbike shop, doing cafe racer stuff. Yeah. And they went around buying out all the old motorbike places. So it was originally a spares place. It was called Unity Spares. And it was called Unity because there were three or four of them. Yeah. That all worked in different places. I think my granddad were a blacksmith. His mate had just left the merchant navy. And they were like, let's buy some bikes and buy some spares, set up a shop. And it didn't take them long. It took them until the 70s. And they got into cafe racer stuff, buying buying spares, John Tickle stuff and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the Manx Norton stuff come up through John Tickle and Colin Seeley. And my granddad were like, we'll have some of that. Bought that. <laughs> And he were making exhaust pipes, he were making fishtails and sand bending pipes, but then all the pattern stuff, the sweatbacks, all these ones hanging up, he were getting them made in Birmingham, and the guy in Birmingham died, and I think he was one of them that supplied everyone in country a big Birmingham yeah. outfit. He so, died. So, when, so when he died, everybody's saying, where do we get this stuff from? Yeah, my granddad were like, well, I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pipes that need making, and my dad, he were, he was seeing my mum, mm. so that's me mum's dad is my granddad yeah my dad was seeing me mum and he, he were racing my dad were already racing classic bikes and he was going to my granddad's shop to buy bits and he was dating me mum and me, he'd lost his job as an engineer and my granddad said oh why don't you make pipes for me so then they set him up in, in the bottom of the mill round the back there in the basement bought all the machines for him so right you need a shoe bender you need a lathe you need this you need that give him all the machines and they set up as Unibend Limited which were a play on the word unity yeah and bend yeah bending yeah. and that like unity's engineering department and then the, yeah they just took over the world then for about <laughs> 10 years or something my dad was plowing stuff out and my granddad was selling it selling it selling it selling it selling it and then my dad died racing yeah 97 at scarborough when i was 11 and then yeah then obviously all it the fun at that point i mean mum formed up we went and lived at my granddad's for a couple of weeks because we didn't want to go home uh, and my mum said to me, Grandad, you're gonna have to sell up. You're gonna have to sell your bit of the shop because the engineering bit needs looking after. And you're the only person that knows what orders are placed because he was placing out orders. Yeah. So he moved up here, sold his half of the shop, moved up here, did my granddad, and then it carried on again. Then my granddad ran, did all the exhaust pipes here, sold them to his mate, his partner at the shop. They carried on for ages and ages and ages. My granddad got that busy, or he needed an extra hand, so he took on my uncle from the shop. <laughs> 
who had been sacked from the shop, so it were a bit of a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> he took him on, he had him on lathes, making foot pegs and stuff like that. And then my granddad retired, my uncle took it on, couldn't cope again, just ran it into the ground. And then we found out that he was selling stuff off, so I changed the locks on him. Right. And then I couldn't use that Uniben name either because he owed a load of money out. So I'm like, what am I going to do here? And my auntie just said, why don't you call it the Sons of Ray, Ray's Sons? Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, that works well because now if I go into Ray's meeting stuff, all my dad's mates go, oh, Ray's lads make exhaust pipe. Ray's lads, Ray's lads, Ray's lads. <laughs> I literally get that. And then like, what's it called again? <laughs> I'm like, Ray's Sons. It takes some ages to get that in the red. So how did you come, how did you learn? Because I mean... Got my granddad back out of time <laughs> for two years. <laughs> Literally had a family meeting. He's walking down to the post office with his pension book and all of a sudden he gets dragged in. You're 80 in year old, he's 80. Yeah. And I was like, granddad, you're going to have to show me what to do. I got all my uncles, my uncles are all engineers, my dad's brothers. Mm. And I got, my granddad had taught some of them how to do sheet metal work and stuff, how to make fishtails. Some of them were my granddad's apprentices. By the way, anybody, if you're listening and you wonder what a fishtail is, a lot of vintage bikes and cars, and cars the tailpipe, was this fish tail shaped device they're, they're, they're triangular in shape and they have a small slot uh, and that's a lot of the time where the glorious noise comes from yeah Buckland's cans and stuff yeah, fish tails because aren't they? all the, all, all the, all the uh, exhaust gases are all desperately trying to get out of this little slot squashed down to a little slit like off an Hoover aren't they like them old Hoover heads yeah <laughs> yeah and little tin Hoover heads yeah yeah so we did that Carrying on, making exhaust pipes. He come down here, talk. He pretty much taught me how to do that first ER bed. Here's a fishtail, have a go at that. The well yeah. hard to do. And you have to sit there hammering it out. And he did it for two years. And then one weekend he phoned up. He said, bend my chest, well bad. I can come up, show you what to do, but I can't do no welding. I can't do no grinding. I can't because it's affecting my chest mm. again. So then he just used to come up, say, right, Ben, do that. I'll see you next week. And I spend all week learning how to do one silencer, all week learning how to do one pipe. Whereas, yeah, yeah me granddad could do it in about two hours in the morning. And yeah. then just go back home for his dinner. <laughs> so, as time's gone on, I mean, you've developed a tremendous reputation, haven't you? I mean, for we're stood in this, we're stood in this incredibly old building around the back of a row of cottages in Whitworth that it took me a while to find. <laughs> the land that time forgot. The la- I mean, it literally <laughs> is the land that time forgot. Yeah. I mean, this building was built, what, 18 something it was built? 1850. 1850. It's a been old. mill building. Yeah. And it's full of old fashioned machinery, old motorbikes. It really is. I mean, I could be stood here. I mean, it reminds you of the George Formby film, doesn't it? And I can't remember the name of it where he rode in the TT. Yeah. No limits. No That's limits. Funny, yeah. I mean, we are back with George Formby and no limits in the TT. I mean, how did all this come about in many ways? I mean, how did you end up located here? That That's an interesting story, because my dad had the one round the back there, the basement of the mill. His mate had this, and he did Morgans up, three wheelers in here. <laughs> oh, yeah, Pro- proper Morgans. Yeah, I know I, own a, I know I own a plus four, but yeah, proper Morgans only have one wheel at the back. vintage cars in here and vintage bikes in the 70s. Did be dad's mate, and then he moved to Arleman, like everyone does when they want to retire, don't they? Yeah. Moved to Arleman, and he just offered it to me dad and said, "Just send me some money every month." Yeah. And then when my dad died, his life insurance paid off my mum's house. Yeah. So then my mum was like, "Right, I'm paying that off straight away. I'm gonna pay workshop off straight away." 
I'm, I remember going across my first time at Isle of Man, I had to take a grand over in an envelope to yeah. go and hand delivering the last payment for it. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's been ours since, and there's not much mill left now. It's all for units around there. Yeah. Metal tins knocking around. <laughs> but, I mean, as your reputation has grown, and in many ways your reputation has been built on, not being funny, but on the name, back of your dad's name and your granddad's yeah. name and everything else. I mean, you look round here, there's some fantastic old motorbikes in here. Um, I mean, you must pay a tremendous part in keeping these bikes both on the road and on the circuit. So, I mean, if somebody comes in for an exhaust, it's not a case if you don't just nip right back uh, and grab one off a shelf. They are all handmade. Yeah, all for specials, pretty much. We only do, like, dirt bikes, trials bikes, race bikes. We want ones where they were made of specials in the day, so they had just a guy making an exhaust pipe for it in the day. It yeah. didn't have one off the shelf back in the day. It done as a special race bike. They said, right, get that in garage, get an exhaust pipe put on it. Yeah. So we just do exactly the same thing, really. Just someone comes up and needs an exhaust pipe on it. But it <laughs> needs to be always certain length, certain diameter, all that kind of stuff, aren't they, for yeah. tuning purposes. So you don't you won't really work to a pattern, will you? I mean you'll just build an exhaust. Yeah, it's length, shape and then trying to fit it in all the holes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I say my biggest skill fitting them yeah it's making them look nice making them yeah fit right yeah. i get a lot of people bring me bikes from isle of man and they say this pipe burns me like can you make it fit better yeah and I, I say what about the lengths what about the tuning and they said oh, i'm not bothered about the tuning i'm going slower because it's burning my leg so yeah. if you can tuck it in i'll go faster <laughs> if i make it a bit because it's two hour races aren't they in the isle of man yeah. 37 mile six laps or whatever yeah yeah, it's a long time for burning yeah, you, your you're leg. You're, you're, you're a long while burning your leg. Yeah. At the end of it, yeah, that's one thing. If you get peckaged by the time at the end of it, you can probably eat your leg. <laughs> yeah, but half a, you can probably do half an hour with it burning your leg, and then after that, it's going to distract you, isn't it? Yeah. And you're going to be like, that's hurting now, that's hurting now, that's hurting now. Yeah. yeah and you you'll look can't... forward to a certain left hand bend or a right hand bend because your leg will come off yeah, the exhaust. Come off, you'll, you'll, look, you'll look forward to that. But it's like, oh, man's only four bends. Yeah. It's got about 600 of them in there, but they're only wiggles. Yeah. And then there's a right hand, a right hand, a right hand, a right hand. <laughs> so, yeah, mainly that, they just come and say, can you fit them, can you fit them? Yeah, and I fit them perfect for them. Yeah, majority of it's come from that racing, me dad racing. I know all these race mates. So I thought, right, I'm going to get straight in with them first. And then hopefully they can bump me up into the top tier of them into the proper races yeah and then my granddad because he's from the 60s 70s he knows all the old guys the proper big names in yeah. it i can just say oh do you know me granddad and like oh yeah i remember your granddad <laughs> <laughs> and he literally knows all the legends does me granddad dealt with them over yeah. the last 50 years or whatever and then my dad just knows all the the rough lads that went racing <laughs> so but when a bike comes in for an exhaust a complete exhaust and you're not as we said you're not working to a pattern it's not or you want one of them, one of them, and one of them. Where do you start? Rack at the eye, innit? It's just all a lot of looking. There's a couple of days of looking in them first, probably. Sit there with a brew. I say to people, if you bring me a bike a couple of months earlier, you'll get a better exhaust pipe at the end of it. Yeah. Because I'll have two... You'll have more pots of tea. Hell yeah, I'll have two months sat there just looking at it, thinking, right, I know what to do with that one. And then when I come to it, I think avoid that all I've looked at it a million times I need to avoid that all instead of just jumping straight in and then realising the holes in the way 
when I get halfway through a pipe. Yeah. And then you just throw it in the bin. You're better off just leaving it there. Yeah. And I said, yeah, if you run out of time and the customer comes and picks it up, he's got a race and you've only done it once and have no time to look at it, he just gets what he's given, doesn't he? Yeah. He goes racing. So... Do you, do you like use the exhaust system that's on the bike as a pattern? Or do you look at it and think, well, I can make that better? Or like you were saying, the guy that's burning his leg. Do you look at that exhaust system and think, well, I can make the new part, I can make the new system, I can keep the front bit as it is, I can keep the back bit as it is, but it's the bit in the middle that we Just have to Just need to alter. wangle the middle of yeah. it. Yeah, fudge the middle of yeah. it. A lot of words for that middle bit, yeah. <laughs> Just... Fudge that bit together there. Yeah. Yeah, do that basically. Just you use it as a bit of a guide, the old pipe. Because you, you need as many guides as you can. You get bits of wire out, bits of cardboard out, I have bits of flexi holes. And then you put all them together into one pipe, the old pipe, the new pipe, some that you've got in scrap bin. Be like, <laughs> yeah, no, that bend looks good. I'll copy that bend yeah. to use in the middle. And yeah, just use that, just get a bit of wire out and think, oh yeah, that looks nice. Yeah, use that in the middle bit. And then, yeah, it just goes on. It's weird. Sometimes it doesn't even look like it's going to go on in a million years. And you hold it up and you're like, and you just have to, just a big leap of faith. You yeah. chop both ends off. Up, 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 up. And you don't really know until you've chopped two foot off that end and two foot off that end. Yeah. Whether it'll actually go in the hole. Yeah. Yeah, and then two foots on either end stop it from going in the hole. <laughs> And I conclude at some point, like there's the old motor racing magazines and there's magazines now that recreate the old articles with the old photographs. Do you consult those and think, well, somebody's brought this old Norton in, this old Matchless in, and this bike raced in the 1930s and 1950s TT. I'm sure I can find a photograph of it or one like it in some of these old articles. first edition photograph. Yeah. That is what you need. Yeah, if you... Someone will bring in a photograph from the 70s and say, can you copy that? And you're like, how many times has that been copied? Yeah. And every time you copy them, they get slacker and slacker, bigger and baggier. <laughs> and that's why they look naff at the end of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas if you go right back to that, normally they're an artist sketch, aren't they? Penciled yeah. on. Yeah, and you copy that. It's not exact. It won't show the brackets because they've, they've just done it in pencil. They've missed the brackets out. Yeah. With experience, you can guess where the brackets are going to go. <laughs> and yeah, we've got hundreds of samples, haven't we? So you can get a sample down and think, oh, that's what a bracket looks like in the 50s. That's how they made them. They didn't have laser cutters, did they? So they're all rough cut out by hand or yeah. done on a press. And you look to see if they've got a pressed edge on them or a thing. But now, to get them pressed, it costs more to get them pressed than it does to get them laser cut. So you have yeah. to get them laser cut now. Yeah. But you try and keep it to a vintage style, which means like doing a little half rad on the end of the bracket instead of a full rad. Yeah. Because they like doing stuff like that back in the old <laughs> days. And brazing them on, you've got to yeah, braze it all on instead of MIG welding it or TIG weld. A lot of people TIG weld now and do it on vintage cars. Yeah. But it's not right, is it? It should be gas welded and brazed yeah. for it to look authentic and right well, I was going to say that would be the one thing fitting a fitting what you might call a new vintage exhaust system to a vintage motorbike though it's it's custom built it's a pure one off and everything else the owner will still want it to look like, right make it look like it were made in the 30s yeah which mean leave some of the the marks in that you <laughs> normally rub out <laughs> Leave some of the mistakes in because they would have been left in in the 30s. They weren't doing it as a showpiece. They were doing it to put a pipe on a bike. Yeah, because ultimately these bikes were being used to to, ride to, work, to race, to. to sell, 
the same bike or the road going version of yeah, that of bike, that bike. Yeah. to people who went into the dealers and bought them and rode to and from yeah. work and went out at weekend and enjoyed this all. Same with them ones on them photographs or them sketches. That's a perfect bike that in it to sell yeah. that bike. Yeah. Then the ones that they actually built are all mass produced, so they're like, let's cut a load of corners out here. Yeah. To make that pipe cheap. So yeah. they big weld them up. But yeah, just bend them fast. So <laughs> and they just throw them on the bike and they're not really bothered if they fit or don't fit because that photograph's already sold that motorbike, can it? Someone's yep. gonna buy well, it. Well the anyway. photograph sold it, what the bike or what the racing bike has done has sold it. Yeah. And everything else. Bonneville so yeah, yeah, Bonneville speed traps and that sold it. Yeah, and then they just come in look at it, go, oh that's that bike in it, I'll have it. They're not really bothered how fast it goes, are they most people? No, it, if it looks good. If it looks right, they can go around and say to me, it's oh yeah, look at this is one of them copies of a Bonneville racer. A Bonneville racer's like a million miles apart in it from yeah. like, just a bog standard road bike. And I think that's the difference now. You look at a lot of modern motorbikes and you look at like World Superbikes and they are literally showroom bikes that they've they've taken lights off and bits and pieces or whatever. And a World Superbike is literally the same bike as, as, as in the, the road showroom. bike, yeah, yeah, yeah. But back in the day... They did specials, didn't they? They did specials. There's no such thing as a special no more. And that's what I want to try and keep alive in a way. Keep the art of a special alive. I love special. Someone brings in a bike cobbled out of bits and says, can you make me a bike for that? That's my favourite job, that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want a normal road-going bike because there's thousands of them in there. <laughs> you can go to a bike show and look at a road-going bike. You can just go and stand on the road and go and look at a road-going bike, yeah. can't you? You want people to dig out all them weird and wonderful things yeah. out the back of a shed that they spent 50 years building. <laughs> <laughs> like, I made this barrel myself or I made that head myself and all that. Yeah, just, how do they do that? made this gearbox myself. Yeah. Now, as regards some of the bikes, what is some of the rarest bikes you've had in that you've been asked to make exhaust systems for? And the rarest, it weren't even a motorbike. I did an 1880s tricycle frame. <laughs> I've done a couple of tricycles from Beamish Museum. Yeah. Just push bicycles, tricycles. Yeah. And some of them won't even get them out of the van on Main Road. They're that rare. Yeah. They're like, I need to back van down back road. I need to, I'm not letting anyone see this. And I don't, they say they're worth mega, mega money. And some guy, he had, this frame had been in Romania and they'd flattened it out to use as a car on a farm in the 1900s. <laughs> and they'd put it in a vice and used a blowtorch to stretch it all back straight. And the guy said, can you bend that back up? Yeah. And it had been pulled out of a field from the 1880s, rusty as. And I was like, well, that's going to be the hardest job I've ever done in my life. And one thing, I need to chop this 1880s frame in half. Yeah. He don't know of any others. I need to chop it in half, put a bar down the inside of it, make it all and back. That not being funny, that has to be seriously worrying to, shall we say, inflict more damage on something. Yeah, to start cutting it up to make it better. But you're hoping to put back to how it was. Yeah, stick a round bar down the inside to knock the square bit out of it where they put it in the vice, then packed it with sand down either end, then bent it back up round, then welded round it, and he basically said, don't grind that weld off because I want all the rust leaving on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't even touch it with a grinder to weld it in a way. He said, I need all the rust leaving on it. Yeah. Because I just want to spray it black and have all the pits underneath it so that people know that it's from the 1880s. That's yeah. another hard bit is when you make something new, it's new, in it? Yeah. And it's look, hard to keep I'm going to say, it, it's making something new look old. Old, yeah. Which just means, yeah, just doing it a little bit rougher. I have people ask me whether I can do super bikes. And I said, I've spent last eight, nine years learning how to do something slightly a bit rougher, which is an hard skill to achieve. Well, not being funny in many ways, the, the, bikes, the, bikes, that, the bikes that you work on now 
were the superbikes of their era. Yeah, like Vincent's and stuff like yeah. Norton. Yeah, Manx Norton's and stuff. The race, the MotoGP bikes and then Manx Norton's. Yeah. That's what Valentino Rossi would have brought if he were in the 50s. Yeah. Manx Norton. And now they just come in one after another after another. And they're probably about the same price. They're like 50 grand bikes, some of them. Yeah. Brand new <laughs> engines in them. They're, my granddad sold that Manx Norton thing to Molnar. Yeah. The rights, all the drawings. My granddad just used it for the spares. Mm. Molnar's now blueprinted them and does them all on his CNC machine because he's yeah. ex-BAE, you know? That one of you lot put Sandbury Hall. Yeah. Yeah, and he just CNC's them out. It's a brand new bike, a brand new frame, brand new everything. Then I'll put a nice exhaust pipe on that, all in stainless, because it's pretty much a brand new bike. Yeah. But if it were a, a 50s one, original one, and they said, can you put a stainless one on? I'd be like, no, not in a million years. There weren't such things as stainless in the 50s. So what do you use? If, if you're not putting stainless on them, what do you use? Mild steel, sandbent, mild steel, brazed up. All mild steel. Yeah. All pre-50s stuff, really. Yeah, like, me, tube, me tube bender there's from the 50s, and that's one of the first tube benders in the world. That apparently they invented mandrel tube benders in Italy in the 50s. And that's one of them? Yeah, so anything pre-50s, they didn't use machines to bend them, they just bent them by hand, yeah. pack them with sand. Oh. And that's, that, the sand stops the, like, the kink in them. Yeah. Because if you bet, I mean, the, an example is if you take like an empty toilet roll holder or kitchen roll holder, <laughs> try bending it, it and bending folds, it, it just it? folds. Yeah. So packing them with sand, and then it, warming it up eliminates the fold. It'll, yeah, it'll bend. Yeah, bend it. Yeah, it'll bend as a, a circular tube. Won't yeah, it? before they've probably, they've probably been using that for a long time, but they also use like they used. To, my granddad said they used to put resin in them, pitch. Oh, and then bend it cold. Yeah, but you need to be strong then to bend them cold. Yeah, fill them up with resin, or they filled them up with a thing called wood's metal, which is a bit like a liquid lead. Pour that in, let yeah. it set, and then bend it. <laughs> they even do it with ice they fill them up with water sometimes freeze them you need a massive chest freezer if you're going to do car or bike exhaust <laughs> don't you freeze them and then bend them again cold yeah and then just warm up and melt all the ice out of it but sand seems to be the best way I think sand's <laughs> cheap isn't it <laughs> get sand I can just go to the beach and get some sand so there's no particular type of sand it's just sand it's dry sand yeah. yeah I have a mate in New Zealand that does it and he goes down to the river and gets the black sand out the bottom of the river sieves it out yeah Super, super fine New Zealand sand. <laughs> Where I just go to building yard B and Q and just say, "Can I have a bag of sand, please?" Yeah. <laughs> it's sweat through. Yeah, you spend the ages drying it out, putting yeah. it in the oven, dry it out, and then, yeah, off you go. So if you put round to your house, what's cooking? Sand. sand. <laughs> Don't put it. I've got, I've got a fan oven yeah. to do it with. Someone lent me. Said, "Yeah, you could dry your sand with that." I put the tray of sand in, open the door. Obviously, after I thought it'd be dry. Big sandstorm, <laughs> don't put them in a fan oven, don't, don't put them in a fan oven. <laughs> so, besides the pipe bend and everything else, unlike modern techniques, it'll be quite, shall we say, a physical thing, will this, won't it? Bending hot and stuff. sweaty, hot and sweaty, yeah. yeah. It's a winter job. <laughs> but everybody wants it done in summer, and then I do them ones where I pump them up with water, like an uh, it's hydroforming, like a two-stroke. Everybody wants that done in winter. Yeah, that's freezing cold because you're filling it up with cold water, and everybody wants that done in winter. And then everybody wants a sand bending done, which you do with a massive blowtorch. They yeah. want that done in the middle of summer. <laughs> like, can you not have them the other way around, and then I can stay warm? <laughs> I mean, roughly, how long does it take to make an exhaust system for, a, shall we say, a classic racing bike to, uh, for which you're not working to a pattern, you're working to what you know and what you can design, but still make it look right for the bike? 
well, a day, there's a day worth of thinking, I reckon. A day's worth of measuring, probably. Then a day, another day's worth of thinking, because your measurements will be like, oh yeah, they counteract me thinking. So then you have to think again. Then you probably make the pipes in a day. I say this to everyone, you make, probably do a pipe. Sometimes you have to, the, packing the sand takes a day. All right. If you're doing a fair few of them, yeah. you have to ram it in. Uh, you get all your pipes prepped, and then I'll spend another day bending them, and then I'll have a big pile of pipes on the floor. Then it might take me a week or two to fit them. Yeah. The fitting bit can be a bit fiddly. Yeah, if you're trying to do an aisle, if it's like a car, if it's inside somewhere, you have everything else to play with people's legs, carburetors, engines, everything gets in the way, cables. If it's the pipe runs down the outside of the car or around the outside of the bike, they're pretty much thrown on, nothing gets in the way. Yeah. You can put it wherever, leave a big gap there, leave a little gap there. Donuts, when they go inside, might take two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Sometimes you have to just go away from it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to smash it. <laughs> Gets to the point where you think, I'm just going to smash this. Or you think, I'll put a cut in there and it'll be right. And you're not thinking about it, you're rushing it. You put the cut in and it's not in the right place. And you take 10 steps backwards. You're back at the start of the week and wasted another week. I'd say, no, you could probably do one in a day or two. Yeah. It'll be enough. A good one probably takes a week. Some challenging might take a week or two. But yeah, that's the difference from get, just getting one off the shelf, which just comes like that, <laughs> doesn't it? And the other thing is, I mean, there'll be the silences that go on them. I mean, do you make the silences as well? Yeah, nightmare. Biggest nightmare in racing that at the moment. 105 decibels. Yeah, and everyone's at 105 decibels now. Because back in the, back in the day, to overwork that phrase, there were no noise restrictions on them back then, were there? Well, Brooklyn's cam's a noise restriction. All right. That's why it's a... Everyone comes and asks me for a Brooklyn's cam. You can get the same for cars. It's the same thing. It's a noise regulation is a Brooklyn's cam, not the style of cam. Yeah. Because... Say no on a Triumph, they'd make their own Brooklyn's cans yeah. to try and get more power out of the bike, but keep to the noise regulations. Yeah. If you turned up at Brooklyn's without a can, you went into the shop and asked Brooklyn's for a can, and then that'd give you the noise regulation, and you'd all have the same can on, and that's why they're called a Brooklyn's can. Right. It's because Brooklyn's supplied them. It's, it's what you bought at Brooklyn's. Yeah, that that would that what they said. If you put that on, it'd be quiet enough. Yeah. But your power might be knocked off. Yeah, completely gone. Yeah. So then, yeah, people like Triumph and get that cam, redevelop it, try and keep the noise the same as a Brooklyn's cam, but maybe make a bit more power. Yeah. And that's the same now, yeah. You said, like, when my dad raced in the 80s, they didn't have, they just had open megaphones, everything sounded wonderful. Yeah. And then in the 90s, he had to put a small silencer on. He played about with silencers. I remember once he cut, just cut some slots in the end of the mega and just wrapped it yeah. with exhaust wrap. And didn't even have a cam round the outside of it. Maybe yeah. a bit of sellotape or something. <laughs> Walking <laughs> way around it. And took it for a go to see if it had passed noise regs. And they were probably well high up then, noise regs. Whereas now they're 105. And everyone's saying, I can't get through noise regs. Can't get through noise regs. And they've got bloody silencers on the back like bazookas. Yeah. <laughs> Massive. They weigh more. The back half of the exhaust pipe, just where the silencer is, probably weighs twice as much as the, all the front bit of it. Because you can make the front bit light. Yeah. But there's no way of making a silencer light because it needs to silence doesn't it so you just got to put enough wool in there to yeah. keep it quiet and that's it it's the wool that weighs everything yeah yeah and now people come and say can you make that quieter to pass the 105 and we're now at the point where the, you just got to knock power off it yeah there's no way of keeping it quiet and keep the power yeah power means big hole 
Yeah. Quiet means small hole. <laughs> so you put a small hole. Oh, you need more bike. You need to put a longer cannon. There's not enough room on a bike to put a big, massive cannon. Yeah. So now we're all in the realms of... They all come to me and say, just knock a bit of power off because I need to go racing and it needs to be quiet. I'm not bothered about the power anymore. We'll try... They try and get that back afterwards. Yeah. I'll knock some off with a silencer. Then they'll spend all year just trying to get that back again, that little yeah. five-brake horsepower that I've knocked off them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a, a constant battle. That's like just in the last four or five years, it's yeah gone mad that on site. Pretty much everything that turns up is, can you fit it better? Can you make it quieter? And it's the hard thing that some road bike people come in and say, can you make me bike louder or can you make it quieter? Yeah. That's all subjective, isn't it? Yeah. I just go, well, how loud is it now? How, yeah, how, how loud do you want it? Yeah, and how good's your ear is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how, if, are your neighbours complaining or whatever? Yeah, that's all subjective. But when you go racing, it's literally just about power and passing that guy yeah. in scrutiny. You've got to get past him. If you're mates with him, he'll let you through 106. If you're not mates with him, yeah. he won't let you through. <laughs> so there's a bit of that. You can have a bit more power if you're a well-known racer because you can get through noise regs. Yeah. Because you just give him a wink and a shake of the hand and whatnot yeah. and he lets you through. Yeah, and then they just, as they're going round the track and the noise meter guys there, they just let it off a little bit and then they <laughs> back up on it again. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you personally get, because, I mean, the, the big test will be, after you fit it, etc., when you start it up. I mean, is it, for a better term, not so much racket eye, but racket ear? Do you, are you, do you I wear- never listen to them, suck it and see, yeah. You just use past experience thinking... Well, last time I put a massive can on and that weren't quiet enough. So this time I'm going to have to, instead of them being 12 inches long, you make it 13 inches long and say, let me know how you get on with that. Yeah. And then the So you don't have a noise meter here or anything? No, you the noise meters are a pain. It's, you go to Cadwell Park and they do it in a flipping pig shed or something. It all echoes round. And then if you go to Aintree, they do it in the middle of a field. So everywhere is slightly different compared to where they do it. Yeah, because the amount of noise in a shed... He's miles he, more than he's, miles, he's a lot more noisier than a noise in the field. Yeah, there's no standardisation about it. They yeah. like sometimes it's on tarmac, sometimes it's on concrete, sometimes it's on grass, and all them things make a difference. You're pointing it up in the air, pointing it downwards. <laughs> so, and then they asked me to try and design something that's coped with all them things. <laughs> then they do things. They cheat by there's certain things, depending on the bore and the stroke of it, depends on how many revs you need to hold it at for the noise regs. And what they do, they all just cheat and put a different bore and stroke on the side. And then the noise guy says, hold it at 3,000 revs instead of 4,000 revs. And yeah. then it's quieter. And that's just off cheating the bore and stroke. They just put a different sticker on the side of the engine. And the guy goes, oh, it's such and such a bore. You need to hold it at 3,000 revs. And that makes it quieter. And then they go out and blast away again. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cheating in it. I get people ask me all the time to make little cheat silences. Yeah. Where I stuff a bit down the inside of it. And then they'll go scrutineering. It passes. But you take them out. Yeah, then they go and stick it in back of the van, don't they? And unrivet them, take them out, and then go racing again. And hopefully they don't get pulled in. Hope they don't win. Or something like that. Oh, man, if you win, they check your bike, don't they, afterwards? Yeah. If you go proper, proper racing. Now, you produce exhausts for a lot of people. Do you race yourself? No. I wanted to be a racer when my dad died racing. Yeah. I still wanted to be a racer after my dad died racing. Yeah. It's more, it's me mum, innit? I think, and I asked my mum, and my mum said, no, go racing if you want. If you want to go racing, go racing, but you can't afford it. She yeah. said, you can't afford to go racing against all your granddad's mates that now have 50 grand, 100 grand bikes, yeah. and they've got some 20-year-old riding it for them. Yeah. I'd have to buy my own bike for 
five grand, ten grand or whatever. Yeah. And, and not go, win. You, you'd be yeah, in the back of the field all yeah, the time. Yeah, I'm six foot three as well, so I'd be racing against all the little skinny lads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a disadvantage right from the start, just from my size. My dad had an advantage. He was same size, but he started when he was 17. Yeah. Raced for 20 years till he died. Yeah, whereas I'd be starting now at 30. And yeah. Back of the pack straight away. <laughs> I might be able to beat some old fat guys, but <laughs> I'm not racing them kids on the ground. I'm not taking bikes. up racing so you can beat me. <laughs> so, I mean, do you, do you ride a bike? Yeah, I've got a bike. I've got a Jakarta. Right. That stays in garage most of the time. You get a van, you don't... Yeah, it's that... Do never buy a van. Don't buy it. If you've got a bike, don't buy a van because you'll never flip and ride <laughs> you'll a bike. Never again. Ride your bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just use your van for picking up your bike. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I have too many to work on, don't I, as well. And they're too expensive for young lads. They're just too expensive. Old bikes are too expensive. I went and bought that Ducati, which has got Brembo's on it, all ins on it, super light wheels, all singing, all dancing. Bought it for four grand. It's probably got four grand's worth of trick bits on it, at least. Yeah. And then I've got to pay twice that to buy an old 60s Triumph or whatever that pisses oil out and don't yeah. run. And I have <laughs> By to the fix way, that, it means, every week. that means leak. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you could have the classic bike or the vintage bike of your choice, what would it be? Good question. I'd have a Triton just because that's what my granddad did, which is a Triumph in a Norton frame. Yeah. Old special in it because they put all the Manx Norton engines in them Cooper race cars. Yeah. And Norton wouldn't sell them engines, would they? No. They'd just sell them full bikes. So, like, right, we'll have to buy a full bike. Like, and we'd and then take its engine out. And scrap the frame. And then loads of Triumph lads were like, well, I've got a blown up Triumph engine around here. I'll flip and rebuild that and stick it in that Norton frame because they're yeah. the best handling frames in the world. Yeah. Well, that's what my granddad got into in the 70s. That's why he bought the Manx Nortons and the Tickles because they were massive with Tritons. Everyone were doing it. Converter engine plates so you could put different engines in different frames. Yeah. Specials were big back then, weren't they, in the 70s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because everyone would have no money. Well, it's like vintage cars. I mean, there was an era where there were specials built. Um, it's one of them things like, what, what is it? And you've got this peculiar-looking single-seater car that started life as a rather nice little two-seater MG sports car. Yeah, and some and, guy had half the parts and yeah. put another half of parts to yeah. it. And ironically enough, the car, and probably like the bike... The car technically on paper is what it started life yeah, as. Yeah, it's frame number. It's frame number and chassis number. And what's in front of you bears no resemblance in any way, shape or form. Oh, no, it's a full thoroughbred then. To what yeah. the paperwork tells you it is. Yes, some of them are a bit naff and they're thrown together, aren't they? Cobbled. Yeah. But a lot of them, if you're going to get into that building, a special, you've come from an engineering background. And they're probably better than the original ones. Yeah. A lot of them, they're done for hill climbing and stuff like that, aren't they? Yeah. The cars, sprinting, hill climbing. They've got the basic car and made it better, yeah. basically. Yeah. Like going getting all the good bits off other cars yeah. and putting them all onto one car. Yeah, basic special, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I'd have a try. I'd definitely have to put the 10 grand. <laughs> and I think my granddad used to make most of the bits for him. And we got, yeah, I'm, I refuse to buy one, basically. <laughs> <laughs> when I can go and get two Ducatis for the same price, that's like... Yeah, buying a Ford when you can have a Ferrari for the same price. It's like, what the only downside to it is buy the Ford because I'll tell you what it is. It's a damn sight cheaper <laughs> repairing and maintaining the Ford than it is. There is, yeah, you can buy Triumph bits, Wassel bits or whatever for a tenner. You can just go and get bits for a tenner when you cut it, does it? Everything costs 100, 100, 100, 100. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference. But, I mean, even though you don't race, given the fact that a lot of your customers will either race or do still do yeah. the old trials, do you attend these events? Yeah, that is my biggest buzz now. Instead of being a racer, 
I raised my exhaust pipes against <laughs> the guys that I, that I looked up to when I started. There were all these guys that basically kind of took a lot of my dad's work on after he died. So they started doing the race bikes because dad weren't doing them anymore. And I thought, I want some of that work back off these guys. I want to do some of these race bikes. And then now I can make exhaust pipes as good as they can. And I can go and watch them race their exhaust pipes. So I'm happy if my exhaust pipe beats another guy's exhaust pipe. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, I have Jamie Coward in Isle of Man. You can watch it on TV. Can't you have the classic TT yeah. and the race the Manx Nortons and John McGuinness is on that pattern, it flies off. Yeah. Jamie Coward's always second. He's got my exhaust pipe on, and that's like the best thing in the world. I've almost sat in the holding it on the podium yeah. at TT. That's as close as I'm ever going to get in it now. Yeah. At <laughs> I would have had to start at 14 or something like that if I wanted to get onto the podium yeah. at TT. But now I can do it from safety of the paddock. Yeah. And I can also. You don't, you don't come off an exhaust pipe, do you? No. <laughs> yeah, and also, like Grandad said, you're not good, they're not going to come off the bike neither. My granddad said, don't get involved with wheels or frames or anything like that because if. They fail. Yeah. Catastrophe, innit? Yeah. If your exhaust pipe fails, not too much of a problem. Probably <laughs> just fall off down track or something, take someone else out from behind. I mean, just out of interest, when you do attend a race meeting uh, and you go in your aforementioned van, do you ever do bits and pieces and little jobs at the meetings? Does anybody come up and say, can you do that for me? I sometimes pick up jobs where people will be like, oh, can I just throw these exhaust pipes in the back of your van while you're here? <laughs> but I have I thought that in the olden days, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there used to be a guy called Sprayson, Ken Sprayson, and he made all the frames for Norton and stuff. Yeah. He used to go across on the ferry with a bot- two bottles, acetylene bottles, yeah. and he'd braze up the frames in the paddock. He'd just lay the bikes on the side, on the on the grass, yeah. get his flames out, and just start brazing up cracks. Yeah. And they get cracked. If they go right Isle of Man, they're going to get cracked. Yeah. Everything it falls to bits, don't they, right Isle of Man? That's <laughs> the whole point of the Isle of Man, is to see if your bike will hold together. And he used to do it in the field, and I, go, I stopped with a woman over there in Arleman, and her son's an engineer. And I asked him, I said, Can I, could we like, do that in a garage over here, me and you? We'll, just, we'll go around paddock and get some work off all the snapped exhaust pipes yeah. and snapped frames and stuff. And he said, you can't bring your bottles across anymore on the ferry. Right. You can't have compressed gas on the ferry, so it's a no-go on that. Unless I get him to get some bottles over there. Yeah. And I think you could then go over there for two weeks, and they'll pay you to be there then, wouldn't yeah. it? It'd be nice, we could just sit at paddock welding all day yeah. long. I'd enjoy that, I think. Yeah. I mean, just out of interest, the, the bikes that run with your exhaust, uh, do, they, do, do they carry the race and stickers or anything? Or, or is it just oh. is it just that your personal pride that you know it's one of your exhausts? No, I try getting stickers on them. My dad's mates want them, in a way. We have this weird thing. I say, put one of them stickers on it. It'll bring you good luck. Because it's got my dad's name on it, hasn't it? It says race sums on it. Yeah. So now they can go racing around with my dad's name on the back. Yeah. He's up there looking down. All road racers need as many gods as they can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John McGinnis does that thing. He drops a penny down his levers into his boot or something. Yeah. He wears pink underpants. He has his socks that his daughter bought him. He does a load of mad things. He goes into the toilet and talks to all these past riders, his yeah. mates that have died. He, t- he talks to all them before he goes down the track. Yeah. And I said, to him, just put one of those stickers on. It's not going to give you no bad luck, is it? No. If anything, it'll bring you a bit of good luck. And in racing, that's what you need. You need... It's all about luck, I think. Yeah. She's weird. It's, it's not. It's all about skill. Yeah, and setting the machine. Is your bike right and everything else, and the sheer skill but, of being able to yeah, ride. Yeah, but in the rider's head, it's not. It's all about luck. Yeah, it is literally all about luck. They just think, ah, oh, yeah, work my day today. Work my day. Yeah, yeah, something happened. Spark plug fell off. Something like that. And they just go, work my day. Yeah, yeah, and it's all literally all down to luck. It's weird, <laughs> and they have all these weird superstitions and gods and yeah. And I just think if I can put racings on, put Dad's name on a bike and watch it 
race round again. It's almost yeah. like my dad carrying on racing, isn't it? Yeah. In a nice way. Yeah. Yeah, and I get to carry on going around the paddock talking to his mates and they're like, oh, Ben's, Ben's here, he's lost. Yeah. <laughs> I remember racing against your dad, that's they all say that. And I raced against your dad back in the day, which is nice. Yeah, Ben bought these little metal stamps. All right, Ben. £400 that cost me from America. <laughs> so I literally stamp everything now. It cost me £200 from America, but then £200 to post it and he yeah. cried when the postman <laughs> turned up. said, you got a £200 bill for that. I'm like, what? <laughs> now... It's like you said, you're already busy enough, but if somebody wants to get hold of you and get in touch, how do they get all, How do they get in touch with Race and Exhaust with Ben Oidman? Just send me an email. <laughs> I mean, if somebody, if, if somebody Google... Send me a letter. We're in up north now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Telegram. <laughs> I've got a fax machine, but no one uses them no more, do no, they? No. <laughs> Down south, they don't use but them. But if somebody Googles Race and Exhaust, yeah, you'll pop up. up, will you? Yeah. Racing's Exhaust or Racing's UK. Yeah. There's another one called Racing's Radiators down south that does that's ra- not, that's radiators. That's not you. Yeah. That's not you. Which is weird. <laughs> they do racing car radiators. So if you need a radiator, yeah, Racing's down south. <laughs> <laughs> but for an exhaust issue. So, I mean, what what is the website's address? www.racingsuk.com. Right. So yeah, it's nice, nice green and, and simple. Yeah, I wanted Racing's, but he's already got it, that guy down south yeah. with the radiators. <laughs> Should have checked that before I come up with my name. And, of course, you're on Facebook, aren't you? Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You're, oh, all, you're all over. We're young, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, other, the other thing is, as well, uh, if you're coming over to Whitworth to find him, um, you're probably easier to find him on the, the internet, uh, on the websites and on Facebook and social media, because I'll tell you now, finding this place is definitely tricky. It oh. is. You, you, you expect to come down to this place when you finally park outside of it. You expect somebody to come past on a little old motorbike, horse and cart, <laughs> or something like that. This really is a stroll back in time. I always say, follow the opposite, especially during lockdown, and we thought zombies were going to come. Follow opposite direction of the midday sun. If yeah. you turn your back to the midday sun, head north. Yeah. And then as you get up to Manchester, there's about 10 windmills on the hill. Yeah. Go for the one on the right-hand side. <laughs> We're somewhere. I mean, I'll be quite honest. I, 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 I overshot this place this morning and asked a couple of people, do you know where uh, this place is? Never nah. heard of it. And no. it transpired over about two minutes off you. Yeah, and we've been here for 30 years, 40 30. years or something. <laughs> But no, Ben Oidman, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight chatting to you. As I said, it's been a fantastic walk back in time into a proper workshop. Into Rosendale, where it's all Into Rosendale, where it's still, it's still, I mean, it's still all round here, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, still all round here. No no Channel 5 round here. (laughs) But once again, Ben Oidman, thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure as well. Thank you. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 